This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. What's up, winners? Welcome to the Moranalytics Podcast, episode number 75. Today is Tuesday, December 4th, 2018. Coming up on today's show, I'll be joined by KCTV5, sportscaster in Kansas City, Tom Martin will be my guest. Now, obviously, many Buffalo sports fans will remember Tom from the years he spent working at Channel 4 in Buffalo. I spent some time with him discussing his early years, talking about his career, including that time in Buffalo, of which he has a lot to say about the city and its people. And you know what? Here's a little spoiler alert for you guys. I think Tom kind of misses Buffalo. You know what? In fact, I think he kind of misses it a lot. Now, of course, Tom Martin is covering one of possibly the best team in the NFL right now in the Kansas City Chiefs. It's been a dream season for them on the field. And it took a crazy turn this past week off the field as star running back Kareem Hunt was cut cut from the team after a video surfaced on TMZ of him being physically abusive to a woman. Came out of nowhere. The video's out one day. The next day, he's cut. I get Tom's take on Kareem, how the team and how the city is reacting to what happened. And he tells me straight up if he thinks Kareem Hunt will be back in the NFL. It's a good conversation. I caught Tom on his way to the airport going out of California towards Kansas City on Monday after the Chiefs beat the Oakland Raiders. Good conversation. Going to get to that in just a minute. Now, normally on my Tuesday podcast, I have Pat with Pucks featuring my good buddy, Tone Pucks. However, he's under the weather, so unfortunately, he cannot do it today. Instead, immediately after my interview with Tom, I got another buddy coming on. He's making his Moranalytics podcast debut, and I'm pretty confident that having him on will become a recurring thing on this show. He's a guy that I've been looking to get on for quite a while. Great talker, really engaging fella. Michael Nietzsche will be joining me for a segment. We'll be talking Buffalo Bills, especially after that dramatic game on Sunday against the Dolphins. Josh Allen, Kelvin Benjamin, all kinds of things. We're going to have a good discussion. I'm really looking forward to that. I think you're going to enjoy it. And I'll tell you what, normally I kind of bullshit around with a few things here at the top, but since I got two interviews, I just want to get right down to business today. Here's my interview with Tom Martin, immediately followed by a chat with the debuting Michael Nietzsche. 
All right, folks, my guest today spent two years as a sports reporter and anchor at WIVB-TV, Channel 4 in Buffalo, before moving on to take a job at work at KCTV 5 in Kansas City. I'm talking about the very personable Tom Martin. What's going on, Tom? Thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule. I know you're flying back from Oakland. Thanks for popping on and doing the podcast today. Thanks for having me. It's nice to talk to folks in Western New York. And, uh, you know, I, I really have been following the Sabres right now. I know there's uh, there's some decisions to be made, but it's a lot of fun to success. And obviously the Bills are are the Bills, right? <laughs> well, that's definitely one way of putting it. I got to be honest with you, though, Tom. I'm a little bit jealous of you that you get to cover the Kansas City Chiefs just because there's so much fun to watch this year. So much fun to watch them play. And we're going to talk about the Chiefs in a few minutes. Before that, though, I'll tell you what, man. You're missed in Buffalo. You were a pretty popular dude. I enjoyed it there. I thought I, thought I and I said this when I left, I thought I got a better shake from a lot of the fans there and a lot of the, uh, the people who invested in the teams there um, as, far as, as far as their fanhood than I probably deserved starting out. I thought it was a very welcoming place, and I miss it for that. I thought the passion, especially on the Sabres beat, because um, I was just deeper on that than the Bills, but I've got a lot of Bills work too, but just a lot of the response and the interaction with fans, I miss it a lot, and I think that's very unique to Buffalo, and that's not to dump on Kansas City, but it's just the investment with every little detail. You could always count on the fact that your work, uh, and, and this goes for anybody in, in, in town there. Your work is always going to be critiqued. It's going to be followed, and that's what you want. You want feedback from people, and you want to know that you're you're trying to push yourself every day. And I think the fan the fan base always ensured that of you. So I miss it too. Oh, I'm sure that seems to be a pretty popular sentiment. People tend to miss Buffalo more once they leave it. Anyway, so here's what I want to do, Tom. I want to go back to the beginning when I have sports media people on. I like to kind of go back to when you guys were young and then work our way up to current. So between school and work, you've traveled around plenty. For you, you were born in Houston, Texas. Now, growing up as a kid, who were a few of your favorite teams and a few of your favorite athletes? Um, I grew up a big, big Astros and Rockets fan. I was not much into football until the Texans got there because I was, I was real young when the Oilers left town and did not get Warren Moon into my memory bank. So it was a lot of the killer bees with the Astros. Um, and then the Houston Rockets, I was too young for their championships too. So trying to cling on, I was a big Yao Ming fan. I thought Yao was, you know, 7'6", to be such a, a humble human being and to be as good as he was, I think overlooked as he was, uh, one of the more fascinating people to root for. Uh, and then Craig Biggio was probably my hero growing up. Um, I actually lived not too far from him and wound up at a game. His, his younger or his, his youngest son, Kevin Biggio is in the blue Jay system and one of their better players. And I went to one of his little league games in Houston and wound up, I was out in the outfield and a ball gets to me after the game because Craig and his son and Moises, Alou, if you remember him, oh, yeah. we're all playing catch out there and the ball gets to me and Craig invites me over to play catch with them. And I'll never forget that. And um, that was somebody I looked up to. And again, I think between him and Yao Ming and those guys, it was just the attitude they displayed. And I love covering the crazy athletes now. I love covering the guys who were loudmouths and whatnot. But I grew up on the guys who 
I think, really put it together as human beings. Now, for college, you go to the University of Missouri. Uh, there's there's some people from the Buffalo media who have went there, current and past. Matt Fairborn from The Athletic, Jonah Javad, formerly at Channel 2. I like to always ask my sports media guests the same question. Why did you go to Missouri? What made you want to go there? And were there other schools that you considered or maybe you wanted to go to that you at least looked into? Yeah, I looked at uh, I looked at Georgia. I looked at Indiana. I thought those were I wanted to go to a state school that would be the college experience. Right. And they had good sports teams. And and honestly, I would have loved to go to basketball games at Assembly Hall in, in, in Bloomington, Indiana. But you walk into Mizzou and you see this NBC station. It's the only uh, school in the country that has its own NBC affiliate. And I'm just looking at this and I'm like, if I want to do this right, I got to go here if I can go here. Um, and, and let's be honest, getting into Missouri was not getting into Syracuse, getting into Georgia. Uh, it was a bit easier. I think it's once you get in the J school program that it, it becomes that big challenge, but, uh, I felt like it was the best fit for me. And I actually like Syracuse a lot. It was a really tough school to get in, uh, into though. And for me, you know, my focus was always on, I, I knew I wanted to do journalism from a really young age, and it was about making that career happen versus making the best grade in biology or something, right? So my grades weren't quite enough to get into Syracuse, but Mizzou, just what they could offer from throwing you in and feeling like a professional, even though you'd fail your ass off, you'd fail so much. But I liked failing in a professional environment earlier and to learn from that. And I think that's probably something Fairburn would tell you, Jonah Javile would tell you that. A lot of the guys who went there saw the ability to learn in that professional environment sooner and then brag about it way too much afterwards like I am right now. (laughs) What attracted (laughs) you to journalism? You said that you knew you wanted to go there and that's what you wanted to do. What attracted you to sports journalism at such a young age? Well, I grew up watching a lot of sports center. It's funny, man, because my my interests, my dad's a pilot and my interests kind of shifted from space and being an astronaut and I'm. I think maybe when I was like seven years old, I, it suddenly hit me that that probably wasn't going to happen, even at seven years old. So, you know, I, I loved watching Sports Center. My parents weren't big sports people, but I just love the competition, I think. And I've always been a pretty competitive guy. And I, I think the ability to sort of convey what I felt watching sports, I, I think that's sort of what drew me into TV as well. I actually went to college to be a writer. Um, I'd be coming for Fairburn's job, except I wouldn't be as good as him. But uh, TV was really, I think, the opening for me to kind of put some personality in it more. Um, maybe just as far as what fit me. And then the storytelling aspect, which Jonah always did so well in Buffalo. Sure. You know, being able to, to, to visually describe what it's like to go through some of life's challenges and how sports fits into that. I thought that was the interesting thing for me. And it's funny because you grow up watching Sports Center in the 90s, and, and the big thing was always the highlights and the catchphrases and stuff. And I, I wanted to do more of what it has become, which is the storytelling, the human element of it, and, and why 70,000 people will pack into one joint area and they don't know each other and they'll root for each other and their team like they've known each other for years. I, I've always been attracted to that, and I just wanted to be in the middle of it. And then I guess I realized that when I was younger. And you know what? I won't lie. And anybody who's who denies this is lying. There is some ego to being on TV and being the guy who passes along that information, those feelings. 
you have to have it, but, but mostly it was to be able to uh, convey the passion that I think I have. Sure. Now I talked about at the top, you being well-traveled, you're born in Houston, Texas. Obviously you worked in Buffalo. You're currently in Kansas city. You've also worked in Missouri. You've worked in Louisiana. So yeah, you're well-traveled. A lot of people only spend their life in one area. What's it been like for you to be able to get out and live in different parts of the country and experience different life and different cultures, stuff like that. You know what I mean? You know, I think, I think there's an inability to relate sometimes, especially in the media where you feel like you have that ability to relate, but you're not really relating with a lot of different people. And I think, I don't know how far I am or close I am to being able to do that, but I want to be able to do that. And I think living in different parts of the country and, and, and understanding the pride that comes with different places where you live. I mean, Cajun country and Buffalo, they were very similar in the pride people take in, in somewhat being overlooked by the rest of the country and, and getting stereotyped. Sure. You know, Cajun country, oh, it's a bunch of people with low grades and they eat a bunch of fatty food and stuff. There's so much great so many great people, but also great tradition that goes into making that unique. And you have to respect that. And you come to respect it because you actually ingrain yourself with it. And Buffalo was just like that for me. I felt like I, I was in sort of a hidden gem of the country. And I kind of embraced that for sure, because some places the, you, you live there and that's all there is. And you like it there. You enjoy it. And Casey's been great, but Casey is not Buffalo in the way that I think everyone has sort of joined at the hip in some ways. Um, and, and that's been unique. I, I've loved the ability to understand that not everywhere is similar and you have to give everybody a, a, an equal chance to show you what it's about there versus just coming and assuming things. Now you came to Buffalo in 2015. You got a job at channel four. The station was looking to revamp their lineup. They had a couple of departures. How did that opportunity come about for you? If I'm correct, you were working in Louisiana at the time. Again, if I'm correct. Well, I, I had left Louisiana um, in May of that year. I, I knew I wanted to go to a bigger market. And if I did not go to a bigger market, I would be selling myself short. I, I want to do as, as well as I can in this business. And so when my contract was up in Louisiana, they basically said, we're not going to extend you month to month. We're, we'd like you to stay two more years. And I just said, I'm not going to do that. Right. And, and, and all due respect, you guys have been great to me, but. So I actually was on the beach. I was unemployed for about two and a half months and I'm on a float trip with my college buddies in August in, in Missouri. And I get a call from Buffalo and I'm like, okay, let's drink some water for a bit. Call him back. <laughs> and, you know, I had a real good talk with Scott Levy, who was the news director there at the time. And, you know, I think we saw eye to eye as far as what he wanted sports to be. And, um, you know, I get brought in right before bill season starts. I mean, and then that day, I'm signing my lease to live in Allentown and, and Steve gets fired. There was a, a, a window in his contract where they could do that. And I only, I had only texted him and suddenly I was the sports director for about two weeks there. And it wow. was terrifying because I don't know anything about the place. And, and again, you walk into Buffalo and you think, gosh, what, do I know anything about how to relate with, with people from Buffalo and cover their teams the right way? And it really helps bringing in a guy like Josh Reed, who, who has done a great job there. And I'll tell you about Josh. Nobody, I think, to the fiber of his being, 
he he will do whatever it takes to to make sure the content and the product is good. He'll work a lot of hours. He'll he'll go. I remember Josh would go to a restaurant and see if guys were coming in as uh, prospective free agents and, and and anything he could do. We both understood that that Buffalo is a town that needed dedicated sports coverage. And I think I mean we we literally took hammers and knocked down the walls of the sports office. Uh, there were some like old cubicles in there. We're like, you know what? We want open communication. We knocked the crap out of those things. And with Scott Swenson, who's the, the, the long tenured photographer there, we just wanted to make sure that, that the people got the effort they deserved with their coverage. And I think the competition that you had with Jonah and Heather, Joe Biscalia and Matt, I think we all sort of competed to try to do the best job we could. And, you know, channel four was a, was a really good time for me. I learned a ton there and the people were just so great to work with. And I'm glad to see that Josh and them are still having success. Who would you say are a couple of the men and women colleagues that you have that you became closest with during your time in Buffalo? Would you say at channel four or just, just anywhere? In general, the sports media. I mean, I know you worked with a lot of different people from a lot of different outlets. Who did you become closest yeah. with? Um, if I'm, if I'm saying close friends, I mean, you know, I'd, I'd say, I'd say it was helpful. A lot of us were the same age. So, you know, John Scott, who's a few years older than me, um, you know, even some news people like Marissa Perlman, who's still there. Um, uh, Heather, I mean, she'd be around when we hung out and obviously she's, she's now engaged to, uh, to John. Uh, mm-hmm. very happy to see that. Yep. Uh, Jonah and I being Mizzou guys, we got real close. It was a lot of the weekend guys who kind of competed with each other, but, Outside of that competition, we would all hang out and try to get together as much as we could. I, I think, you know, Fairburn, Mike Rodak, who come in and it's it's the guy who everybody seems to have all this animosity towards. And, and Mike's <laughs> Davey's Mike's off, such a, but yeah, yeah, you're right. Mike's such a good guy. And, sure and I think once you get to know him and I think once he got more comfortable, he was he was going to open up a little bit more and just be loose and, and, and fun to hang around and. And it was even nice getting to know guys like Tim Graham and going and, and, and help with his, his class at Canisius or get a drink in the Elmo's. Um, you know, there were a lot of guys who, again, were very friendly. And and for some reason, there was a reputation, oh, the Buffalo media, it's so hard to crack. But, you know, even guys like Mike Harrington were nice to me. Everybody was nice. And I, I, I really got along with a lot of people. John Vogel, such a good guy, um, especially that Sabres beat. Those guys are real tight together. And I, I'd probably, it's probably a few. There were so many though, for sure. Now in August of 2017, you announced that you would be leaving Buffalo and taking your current job as a sportscaster at KCTV in Kansas city, Missouri. You had spent two years in Buffalo was leaving Buffalo for Kansas city, a difficult decision for you. I mean, obviously at the end of the day, you're always going to do what you feel is best for your career. But having said that, do you feel like it was a pretty difficult decision for you? Yeah, it was difficult. Um, I had actually agreed to an extension verbally at the time. I I, I had looked around. Uh, I have an agent, and, and and we had looked at different openings, and it just felt like Buffalo was going to be. It, it, it would have been like I would have totally not minded staying there another year and, and to cover the teams. It would have been great being there for that playoff game for the Bills, right? For sure, and. And so I verbally agreed to an extension there for a year. And while I'm on vacation, I get a call from Kansas City. And the guy who had hired me in Buffalo, Scott Levy, was there. And I think a lot of people tied that in. And what really happened was I'd been, 
I got a call in June of that year from a guy, Andrew Carter, who I was buddies with at Mizzou. And he actually had the position that I have now. And he said, Tom, I'm getting out of the business and look for a call for me in two months. I think it'd be the easiest transition. If you came in, you'd be good for the job. And I said, okay, all right. Uh, I, I don't believe you because you and I competed for years and you're just going to leave. And he went and started this drone marketing company. And, and sure enough, two months later, I get a call and, and they want me to come in. And so I fly from like Hilton Head from my vacation to, uh, wow. to KC. And it was a tough phone call to Josh and, and to Lisa Polster, who has been awesome to me, um, to let them know that, that this was just an opportunity for a number of reasons that I could not say no to. And, you know, I, I hated the fact that I had agreed to something and then suddenly turned and, and, and signed a contract elsewhere, but I had the ability to, and I don't think twice about the decision I made. And again, I think they're doing great on their own terms right now. Um, but yeah, it was tough. It was tough because you start to feel like you've established something in Buffalo and you love the community there. Um, and, and, and some of this sounds cliche, but really it's, it's, it's the truth. I, I think there was a lot, I wish like hell I could be covering the Sabres right now and, and just knowing how far they've come and, and to be involved with the fans, uh, that'd be a lot of fun right now for me, but, but KC was the right decision. And obviously there's a lot of fun stuff going on here too. We're talking today to Tom Martin from KCTV five in Kansas city. Tom, when you covered the Buffalo Bills and Sabres, I'm sure there had to be one or two guys from each team that were among your favorite to cover. Guys in the locker room, guys that you would see out at restaurants, whatever it may be. Give me a guy or two from each team that you really enjoyed covering during your time here in Buffalo. <laughs> the first answer my first year, unlike kind of a, you know, ridiculous level was Leotis McKelvin just because you never knew what form of English you'd get. Uh, <laughs> sure, but yeah, so true. Yeah. Leotis, you'd, you'd bring out the bleat machine. It was awesome. But he was a real, like, it was always straight from the heart from Leotis. He was just telling you like it was. Uh, I, I think some of the same guys people would else would otherwise bring up. You know, Kyle Williams always, I think, gives it to you straight and, and, and is able to articulate his thoughts on a game. Um, you know, as far as hockey goes, I don't know that I'll ever talk to a guy who was more brutally honest than Robin Leonard um, and a guy who just had a real tough shake in Buffalo. It was going through a lot, obviously, and that was written in The Athletic, and I didn't even know half the stuff that was going on. But I knew that he had some demons, and, and I think you'd see that in his post-game interviews. I mean, he would tell you like it was. And if the team was struggling, I mean, he wore that emotion on his face. He was not going to sit there and act like nothing was going on. And I respected him a lot for that. Uh, I'd say him. I would also say, you know, um, from the Bills side of things, Aaron Williams was always great. And it was a shame to see the way his career came to an end. Right. Because he was somebody, I remember Patriots week, man. Uh, that year, 2015, that team was so darn talented. And they really thought they could beat him. They really had it in him. And Aaron was just coming out swinging that week leading up. And I was like, this is how football should be. Enough with this crap where guys always try to say they respect everybody. No one respects the Patriots, so come out and say it. And that's what he did. And, um, you know, it obviously didn't go the right way for them, but I respected him for that. And Rex was Rex. I mean, Rex was somebody who it was easy content every week. And we even had our thing called the Rex Files, where it was stuff that we couldn't use 
didn't have time to use. And it was a whole minute of extra stuff that he'd say. <laughs> We'd ask him about his darn lap band getting removed. How many coaches get the question like that? Right. So <laughs> Rex was awesome for, for, for being who he was. But you could even tell later in his year, uh, in his second year there, he wasn't the same guy. He'd been worn down by the losing. And, uh, you know, that that was sort of the theme with some guys. Ryan O'Reilly, too, by the end of his time there, it was just you could tell the losing took a toll. Now you're covering the Kansas City Chiefs. Quite obviously, that's different than covering the Buffalo Bills. That's night and day, by at least in terms of development. I mean, the Kansas City Chiefs are one of the best teams in the NFL, while the Bills are completely rebuilding. So it's been a great season so far for the Chiefs, but this was a crazy week for them. And the NFL, of course, with the Kareem Hunt incident, as someone who covers that team and is right there in the thick of the middle of all that's happening, how shocking was this for you, the organization and all the fans? Because, I mean, this is a crazy story that just seemed to come out of nowhere. It was shocking. It was shocking because in the NFL, you expect teams to defer to league punishment. You go by the book. You do everything in your power to keep young, talented guys on your roster. And for them not to sit here and say, Kareem, it's the six-game suspension that the league will probably give you. Or Kareem, we're just going to sit you for this season. We'll see you next year. For them to outright get rid of him was a shock. And it goes to show that they took the fact that he lied to them pretty seriously. I think the lying where he said he was not in the hallway, he was in his room. And then for the tape to just contradict that, I mean, that's made the league and the and the Chiefs look like idiots right now. And deservedly so. I mean, if you want to act like you were always superior as the NFL and the Shield and whatnot, um, even if you don't have legal jurisdiction, stuff like this will make you look silly. And Kareem Hunt being more truthful would have probably lessened the blow here and might have caused uh, or led to a better investigation. Instead, you have a guy who, by all accounts last year, was one of the more humble, professional guys in that locker room. And and he's gone now, but he really changed um, this offseason into this year. Even without knowledge of the incidents, something got to his head about his success, about, hey, I'm the guy right now. No one's bigger than me right now. And he wouldn't say that, but there was an attitude about him. And I I never try to read too much into this, but it was impossible not to see the difference with him. And I wonder if, you know, that guy that you saw on the ESPN interview where he's coming off humbled. I think I think he needed that personally to a get himself together and get the alcohol issues with him fixed up. I think a lot of his his incidents, right, came when he was drinking too much. Um, and then for there to be the fallout of, okay, man, this team is still trying for a Super Bowl. How do you cut the guy? That was interesting, too. I had a real good conversation with Larry Johnson, who had those back-to-back 1,700-yard years yeah. and, and screwed up a lot. Right. Had like five or six bad incidents. And he said, you know what? They should have cut me when I was messing up like that. I'm glad they cut him. It was the right call because they're not going to let the, a guy in that position again make those mistakes. And you hope that despite the Chiefs sort of being reactive to this, you hope that this sets a precedent now where teams say, you know what, if the Chiefs cut that guy, a guy of that caliber, how dumb are we going to look if we let something similar slide? And, and you hope that that's a domino that falls around the league because obviously – uh, these things keep happening and you don't want them to happen. Um, but yeah, that was a long day and a long couple of days after for sure. Just trying to make sure you covered every aspect of it. You were respectful in every way you could be. 
and you were thorough. Now, I know this may be an impossible question for you to answer, at least at this time, but what does your gut tell you when it comes to Kareem Hunt? Do you think that this is a guy who's going to be back in the NFL next year, or do you think that maybe his time's up in the league for good based on what he did in the lies and everything? Do you think he'll be back? I'd bet the house he's back. Uh, It may be a year from now. It might be a year and a half, two years, but he'll come back. He's somebody who, again, once he gets back to that humble kid who fought his way out of Cleveland, out of Toledo to make the NFL and do well. um, I mean, he was like your American dream type kid coming from nothing and doing what he did before uh, these incidents. He really was. I think he will impress teams in interviews again once he goes through counseling. I think he'll convince somebody that he really can be that humble guy who, who knows better eventually. And obviously the talent speaks for itself, regardless of whether he's playing for Andy Reid or not. I think he's a guy who his, his tackle breaking ability, his ability is a dynamic, versatile threat. Teams will want that teams will know they can get him on the cheap and they'll give him a chance. Uh, and, and that could be again, a year from now. And I think unlike some guys who may look at this situation and, and wear it on their sleeve differently. I think from a PR standpoint, you can probably sell Kareem Hunt to your fans a bit easier than you could some other guys who might still be loud and less apologetic. I think Kareem is going to be back in the league for sure, maybe even as early as next year. Now, even without Kareem Hunt, the Kansas City Chiefs are still very good. They won again Sunday. They beat Oakland 40-33. Now, even without Kareem Hunt, the Kansas City Chiefs are still special, especially on offense. They won again Sunday. They beat Oakland by seven. They moved to 11-2 on the season. Patrick Mahomes, I mean, God, what more is there to say? Throws four more touchdowns. He just joined Brady and Peyton Manning as the only quarterbacks ever to hit 40 touchdown passes through 12 games. I mean, listen, we get to see highlight clips of him around the country occasionally we'll get to watch a game or two of the Chiefs, but how special is this kid? Because he's just having a season for the ages right now. He's unflappable. I think the most impressive thing is when I ask him a question, he'll look me dead in the eye and his face will not make any change of of anything until I'm done. He'll sit there and he'll answer your question direct. It's never the same answer. He he is unfazed by anything. And that goes for on the field too. I, you know, who cares about how a guy answers a question, right? right? I bring it up because that's how it sort of translates. I think to his entire life, he he has grown up in in these professional sports environments, and it is just not. He's unwavering in the pressure, and there's so much pressure because now you've gone from trying to lead this team to chasing history and chasing a ring in your first year as a starter. And every time we talk to him, there's just no change in how he is. He's so great around kids at these promotional events. Um, you know, he's he's just somebody who was born and raised for this type of thing. And, and you know, it's almost like, well, you get sick of people hearing, hey, Chris Hogan played lacrosse and Jimmy Graham played basketball, like the whole background thing mm-hmm. that always gets brought up. But the background of him as a professional, uh, with his dad as a professional athlete, I really think that made a big difference. It's like Larry Fitzgerald. These two guys I compare with their mindsets and their abilities to to block out a lot of the noise and focus on what makes them better than other people. And his arm is just so unique and the way he was um, kind of nurtured as a quarterback is so unique. And I think Andy Reid and him are in the perfect fit together to be successful. You know, it's funny. Well, maybe if you're a Buffalo Bills fan, it's not so funny. Of course, the Bills will always be known 
as the team that traded down with the Chiefs so that they could move up for Patrick Mahomes. But regardless, we can't cry over that anymore. If you're a Buffalo Bills fan, you got Josh Allen. Got to get over that. But if you're a Chiefs guy, I mean, man, you got Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, who's one of the best, if not the best tight end in football right now, Sammy Watkins, other weapons around. It's just got to be so much fun to cover this team right now. It is. It's 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 something new every week. It's it's innovation, and it's funny because they they played like crap against the the the, the Raiders offensively, and they scored forty points. Right. I what happens that. is, yeah. What happens is they 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 will mess up or or not succeed on maybe two plays within a three down set, but that third down goes for fifty yards. Like they make the chunk plays and the big plays in ways that other teams just simply can't. They make up for their mistakes so well. And then when they don't make mistakes, I mean, like the Bengals game or uh, the Rams game offensive, well, I guess they made mistakes in that game, but they still scored 51. Um, It's unbelievable what they're doing, and trying to keep track of it is interesting. I mean, there was a play they ran yesterday, and I thought, wow, Andy Reid ran that play week one. And you wonder how Reid can keep things fresh. And I think one issue they ran into was things did not keep fresh throughout all of last season. But with this quarterback, his ability to recall so much information and so many different play possibilities out of the same sets, they have kept it fresh and they keep surprising teams, not just with the ability, but the play setup as well. Of course, as good as Kansas City's offense is, if there is one downfall for the Chiefs right now, it could be their defense. How could they get better or at least get a little more consistent on defense over these next four weeks before the playoffs start? Because I feel like a terrible defensive effort is probably the only thing that's going to keep this team from going to the Super Bowl. Yeah, the only way they get better is if Eric Berry can really make an impact. Um, they got him back in the practice field. He did get some reps with the first team, but they need him out there. And I mean, they cut Ron Parker and then Ron Parker leads the team in snaps right now, I believe, um, because they have to put a safety out there that, that knows Bob Sutton's system. It, it, it's really been a, a weird year because the front seven with D Ford, Chris Jones, Justin Houston, even Alan Bailey, those guys have played great. And how are they giving up so many points? You say the pass rush is the key to defense, right? right. They're on one, one of the highest sack teams and pressure teams in football. And I don't even think the corners have played that bad, but they just still somehow keep giving up big plays. It's just inconsistency. It's like the the reverse of the offense. They'll make the big plays defensively, but then they make so many mistakes that lead to points. It's just, it's, it's hard to see them getting better if Barry is not the reason for it. Otherwise you might see a lot of shootouts in the postseason, no doubt. All right, Tom, before I let you go, before you hop on your plane, going back to Kansas city, I like to end every single interview I do, especially with sports media guests, by having a mini lightning round. All I'm going to do is ask you a handful of random questions, no deep thought required. Whatever the first thing that comes in your mind, that's your answer. You cool with that? All right. Let's do it. Favorite all-time athlete? Yao Ming. Favorite non-sports related activity to do? Listen to music. Okay. What's your favorite city to visit? I know you go to a lot of cities with work and just where you've lived. What's your favorite city to visit though? 
Charleston, South Carolina. Great, great place. Why? Tell me about that quickly. What's what's great about that? I, I've never you, been there. If you've got a lady and you take her to Charleston, she's not going to leave you. It's it's the best place, man. There's just so <laughs> many great things to do as far as food and drink. And it, 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 it's kind of the you take some of like the smaller neighborhoods in Buffalo and just turn them into an entire city. If it's like Elmwood Village, the city, and then you add some more things to it historically, that's what it is. It's awesome. Okay. Okay, cool. Who's the most entertaining fellow sports reporter that you know? Could be from any market, Buffalo, Kansas City, wherever. Most fellow sports entertaining reporter that you know. Oh man. Um entertaining. If I if I go purely off entertainment value that I know personally, my guy Ari Alexander, KVOA in Tucson. He's boys with Jonah and myself. And I'm sure a lot of his stuff's on YouTube. He will do anything to get you riled up in a sportscast. He'll sing. He'll do. He's like a Backstreet Boy as a sportscaster. It's hysterical. <laughs> Name me a movie that you can't do without. Like, if you can only have one DVD in your house, which one would it be? Oh, gosh. Only one, huh? Um, super bad. Good one. Very nice. Very nice. How often do you get to watch TV shows? I would assume not very often with your job and all that, but when you get a chance, you got a favorite TV show? I got to fall asleep to something. So yeah, I I do. I I watch a lot of TV. Uh, Right now I'm watching The Good Place. Big fan of The Good Place. Okay. If you had never gotten involved in broadcast journalism in any capacity, or if you did, but it just didn't work out for you for any reason, what do you think you may have went on to do with your life? I got two options. I think I'd be like an English teacher or something and then work my way up that way and uh, make zero money, which is more than I make now. <laughs> and then uh, the other option would be my dad's a pilot and has his own plane business, his charter business. I'd probably get a pilot's license and, and try and take over the family business and eventually and be king of the skies or something. Go back to my roots. Who knows? <laughs> All right, second last question for you. If Twitter were to send you a note and say, yo, Tom, you're only allowed to follow one person on Twitter, one person only, we're going to take away every other follow that you have, who would that one person be that you would follow, whether it's a person or a Twitter handle? Who would it be? Oh, man. All right, I'm going to give a shout out to my guy, Ethan Booker. If you don't know who he is, he's a comedian. And he'll retweet all these other funny tweets. So Ethan could keep me up to date with sports and comedy uh, in, in, in one handle. That's, that, that's the pick. Okay. Last question. And this is always a tough one. You could have three dinner guests from any era, dead or alive, any part of history, celebrity, whoever you want. Three people <laughs> at your crib tonight. Have dinner, a couple beers with whatever. Who you got? Okay. The, here comes the space nerd in me. Give me Jim Lovell. From Apollo 13. Nice. Give me give me Lou Gehrig. Uh, one of the great stories in sports for, for good and bad reasons. And uh, I need somebody to kind of lighten the mood a little bit. Give me a comedian. Give me uh, uh, give me Adam Sandler. Screw it. He'd be fun. Dude, you know what? You are the first person I probably, I don't know, I've done maybe 60 interviews like this. You're the first person who didn't say either Muhammad Ali or Barack Obama or Abraham Lincoln, something like that. That was solid, dude. I loved it. Loved it. <laughs> I want I want guys who I can kind of relate with a little bit. If I was 
Barack Obama's an amazing guy, but man, like I feel like I get the political uh the political spin too much. The one guys who will level with you. <laughs> I hear you, man. All right. Tom Martin, give Tom a follow on Twitter at Tom KCTV5. And be sure if you don't live in the Kansas City area and you want to check out his work, you could do that at KCTV5.com. Thanks a lot, Tom. This was a lot of fun. I was looking forward to getting you on. A lot of fun, man. Appreciate your time. Yeah, Patrick, I enjoyed it, man. Take care. Good talking. Shirley, you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. That boy is good. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. All right, so it's time for something new here. Usually I do Pat with Pucks on the Tuesday show with my buddy Tone Pucks, but he's out sick and I'm a silver lining type of guy. So that's going to give me an opportunity to have something new on today. And on that note, I'm joined by my buddy Michael Nietzsche talking some Buffalo Bills, maybe a couple of other things. Mike's pretty well piped into the Buffalo sports and social media scene. So this should be fun. Let's go down, Mike. How you doing? Good, Pat. How are you? I'm glad that you're having me on. And I'm glad that we're able to do this because I wanted to say something to you before we even start. Uh-oh. I always, I want to apologize to you because when you first came on Twitter, it's like a long, like 10 years ago, I was really a troll of yours. I was <laughs> just really, I was awful, just absolutely awful towards you because you wrote something that was really bad and I just went over the top with it and I wanted to apologize to you on your podcast face-to-face man-to-man and I that was really wrong of me and I apologize to you and I'm glad that we were able to smooth things over and we're pretty close on Twitter I still break your chops a little bit but nothing like what happened however many years ago that was so I just want to apologize to you and thanks for having me uh having me on no man no problem at all thanks for the apology I never thought much of it I sort of remember what you're talking about. You gave me the business a little bit. You know what? To be yeah. fair, though, I also, looking back in hindsight at the time, probably put out a decent amount of pretty shitty content out there to give you some ammunition. Busting balls right. is fun. It happens. Not a big deal. I'm right. over it. But I've always, <laughs> I like your takes on Twitter. You know, I, I will say this. Even in the midst of our feud back in the day, when you were blogging and you were doing a lot of writing, I remember saying to myself, I'm like, you know, this fucking guy, this son of a bitch. But you know what? He writes some good <laughs> shit, man. I remember saying I that. I remember saying I, that once. Thank you. And uh, yeah, I give that also credit to um, you have Buffalo. You have Joe on from Buffalo Wins. He gave me the uh, the opportunity, gave me a voice. And um, he's another one. I, I, I like to jab that a little bit, but he's another good guy. He gave me an opportunity. And uh, yeah, that was fine. I did that for a while. And then he kind of backed off from doing the blogging. And and uh, yeah, know, so lazy. here I am now. Just, yeah, he's, yeah, he's just lazy. Oh, he is. He is lazy but he but he'll be the first one on twitter to let everybody else know how lazy they are <laughs> and everything else but he, he's great I, I love i love joe he's, yeah, he's that, a good guy that is so true man that's so true okay yeah. so listen i had tom martin on earlier we were talking mm-hmm. about his career kansas city chiefs he touched on the bills a little bit but i gotta have some bills talk on this podcast especially after a game like sunday in miami what a game that was right off the top here and again we have this is actually for everyone out there listening we talked for maybe, what, 45 seconds before we started taping. This is actually yes. our first phone conversation that me and you have ever had. I didn't give you ever. any notes. You have no idea what's coming down the chute. 
frankly, to be honest with you, I really don't know what I'm going to ask you. So it's going to be kind of on the fly thing. But one thing I definitely want to get is your take specifically on Josh Allen, because I mean, listen, he's just such a polarizing figure, good and bad, that we could probably have a show every week called the Josh Allen show, where we did nothing but talk about how he played and what his future looks like, because it changes every week. But based on what you saw in Miami, which many people, including myself, thought was a breakout game, what are you thinking about him right now? I think right now, for somebody coming in and their seventh start, that was a seventh start, I mean, you, you can't not, you, you can't be disappointed. I mean, that was his, that was his best game after missing what, four, five games. Yeah, and yeah. He, yeah, yeah, came in and improved on last week. I, I, I'll be the first to admit, I didn't watch much of the Jaguars game, um, but the numbers didn't really blow me away. I know everybody's like, well, he did this, this and that, but I'm like, eh, the numbers nine, but nine passes. But I mean, yesterday, just that fourth quarter, that last drive to get him down there, I mean, those first two passes just zipped right out. He looks good. I mean, he looks the part. And what people have to understand is, is that when we're sitting here and we dissect every throw, every play in a, you know in the instant reaction world that we're in, that's what we do. But if we just step back for like a couple steps and look at the overall picture, and see that two Miami Dolphins beat writers are like, uh, hello, this kid's good. Yeah. The Miami Dolphins players, this kid's good. The Bills players, this kid's good. And they've been saying, the Bills players have been saying that since July and August. And we, the fans, just ignore that because we got to get our, you know, we got to yell over each other either on social media or wherever else. But if we look at people who follow, who've been in this league, who know the league, and especially the players, they all say this kid has it, and this kid is good. I'm not saying that he's going to be the next Jim Kelly or the next Ben Roethlisberger or whatever, but I like the way he is trending, and they are better when he plays, and you cannot dispute either one of those things. He's trending up, and they are better when he plays, and he looked really good. I think maybe really good one yesterday. of my favorite things about him right now, Joe, and we, we brought him up a couple times already, he always switches his Twitter handle every day, and he admits that he's kind of like a box uh, a box score scout. With yes. Josh Allen, I don't really think that you can look at his numbers. I mean, you looked at him. If you do, you look at him mm-hmm. Sunday, they're kind of his passing numbers I'm speaking of. Pretty pedestrian. I mean, he was 18 of 33 for 231 yards, two touchdowns, and two picks. One of those picks was at the very end of the half, kind of just throwing right. it up in the end zone prayers. That's a decent game, but it's nothing that's going to blow you away. But you add that. You add in the 135 yards rushing on nine carries. That's a franchise record. The timing of some of the plays that he made and just his leadership out there, it really, to me, it goes beyond the box score. And I don't know about you, but it's a maddening thing to me because one week I'm ready to say, you know what? This guy's a stud and he's a star. And I am, by the way, a classic overreactor. I'm a knee-jerk reactor. I, I admit that. You know what I mean? You go against Minnesota and he looks good. This game, he looks great. He's ready to be a star. He, he plays against the Chargers. He keeps going right. back and forth. But I think you're right. He's definitely trending up right now. And this is the first time, I think, anyway, where a lot of the league, writers from other teams, you brought up the guys from Miami, people on Twitter who follow, you know, cover the NFL, they're talking about him in a positive light. It's not Wyoming Josh Allen who has no accuracy anymore. You know, the, the Bills rolled the dice and took a high-risk guy. People are starting right. to talk about this kid like he's going to be something in this league. 
He, yeah, absolutely. And if, if you follow the right people, the people who actually, you know, could break it down and give you some actual insight and they don't overreact and they don't harp on last year's quarterback or anything else. Yeah. They're all telling us the same thing that he, he has what it takes and he is going in, in the right direction. The thing about the bills and what really frustrated me this season is they, I, I like McDermott. I really do. But the way they just mishandled the entire quarterback position from, from training camp, from the time they traded McCarron up into, you know, even going into the Jets game, they, you know, Matt Barkley is starting. It, it was terrible. But the best thing that happened to Josh Allen was him missing that time. So he could just step back and just kind of reevaluate himself. See how everything gets handled from, you know, from that end of it, when a veteran like Derek Anderson, Anderson comes in, and you can see he picked he picked up on some things. When the Bills let go of AJ McCarron, they should have been on the phone with Derek Anderson or somebody else on th- that same day. Right. And the way they brought the way they brought along Allen, I, I wasn't a fan of it. I thought they really just mishandled it. But to his credit, he has overcome that. And yeah, he's he missed some throws yesterday, and he. Um, you know, the, inter- the interception, the second interception to Howard wasn't, was not great either, but that's a rookie quarterback. He's going to make those mistakes. Sure. And we saw those mistakes in Green Bay. We saw those mistakes versus um, Los Angeles. But yeah, I mean, he's going in the right direction. And instead of us just constantly nitpicking every throw and nitpicking everything he does every second, we just got to let, let this play out. He's getting four starts. He has four starts left against four teams that he should be able to do some damage with, including New England. Because New England's defense isn't great. Right. Now he goes in the offseason, a full offseason as a starter, getting himself now in that starter's mentality. I think you're going to see, coming out next season, I think you're going to see him, you know, just get better. And we're going to see what we really have at the halfway point of probably next season. You can't tell me otherwise that he doesn't, he hasn't gotten better. Um, there's people out there who don't want him to be good. That they got hit. They he's you know they do because they have to stick to their um, their narrative going into the draft and everything else, which I think that frustrates me. But I mean, yeah, he's getting he's getting better, and I, I'm not ready to say oh he's gonna be a stud and he's gonna be this is that, but he's getting better, and that's what, what you want to see. You want to see him get better because this season was all about him, and that's good because he's improving, right? I mean, that's what yeah. we want. Yeah, I mean, listen, I I completely agree with you. On two points. Number one, if you don't like Josh Allen after what he did Sunday in Miami, then yeah, you don't want to like him. It doesn't right. fit your narrative. You know, if you're going to, sure, he played far from a perfect game, but if you're sitting there and you're bashing him, I have seen people on Twitter. I'm not sure if they're trying to be trolls or if they, this is their honest opinion, but they say that, you know, he took, he left points on the board, bad throws, and that's why they lost the game. I mean, I don't, either you didn't watch the game, that's just. <sighs> How you right. want to think about it. And here's the other thing that I completely agree with you. You said that him getting injured in hindsight was the best thing that could have happened to his development. Obviously not the best thing that could have happened to his elbow at the time, of course. Right. But I do agree with you because I've seen something in him since he's come back. And again, I'm not talking about statistics. I'll give you two quick plays and specifically, and, and then we'll move on and we'll talk about a couple other things. Sure. Last week against Jacksonville, that pass to, to Robert Foster he was getting licked as he threw the ball. Three people. I feel like right. early in the year, he he rushes that throw or he or he takes the sack. He doesn't get rid of it all or he takes off too quick. He knew he was going to take a lick. He stood in the pocket and, and he delivered a perfect pass as he was getting it 
by three different people. I love that play. And then Sunday in Miami, this didn't go for a touch on or anything, so it doesn't seem like a big deal. But he hit Patrick DeMarco on a on a wheel route, and he was open. I mean, I could have thrown that pass. You could have thrown that pass. Right. The point is, he he waited him to get open. He threw it at the perfect time. He was patient. He let the play develop. He didn't rush it. He didn't get quick feet. Didn't get panicky because there was a pass rush barreling in down on him. But he stood in the pocket, had poise. And that's why he was able to throw that pass to DeMarco, which went for a big gain. He's starting to show a little bit of poise. He's got some ways to go, of course, but he's starting oh, to show sure. a little more poise in the pocket. And I feel like maybe spending some time on the bench and, and watching, you know, even if they were making mistakes out there in front of him, but just being able to step back and see things, I definitely think yeah. has benefited him big time. I, I really think also that we'll go back to, let's go back one more to um, my Miami game before I go on. The throw he had, to foster that he missed the fourth quarter deep pass. Yeah. I mean, he, he threw that thing from his own, what, 28, 29 yard line. And that ball landed at the, at the dolphin six. I mean, he just unleashed that thing. That's the arm strength that the scouts and everybody else that's what you fall in love with. And I mean, if foster is just maybe a tick quicker or that ball is just a tick underthrown, that's he walks in for six. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, he, the, the poise he had in the Jacks looking to make that throw to Foster, that 75 yarder was just, that was ridiculous. I mean, that, that you just should not be able to make that throw in the NFL. You, you just shouldn't. I mean, the, the, the pressure he was under, I mean, it looked like he was throwing that thing from, from under three people and it was on a rope in stride. It was just, it was awesome. I mean, that was just a, a great throw. But one thing that I'm, I'm noticing now, especially yesterday, the Miami game is really how bad this offensive line is. Because he's actually making the receivers these last two weeks look good. Right. He's making Foster look good, making Zay Jones into what we think thought he was going to be. Um, Kellen Benjamin's a lost cause. He's not even worth discussing. But, I mean, you can see I mean, Isaiah McKenzie hit him on a couple couple throws yesterday. If he just had more time, and because when he's back there, he can actually pick a defense apart and throw people open. Right. That offense line is so bad. It's just, it's deplorable. It is just horrendously bad. If he just had a lick of more time, I think the rushing yards would be down and he would be able to actually make more, more throws that we want to see. It's that this line is just so bad. He has to move around so much and run. That's where these, these rushing yards are coming from. But yeah, I mean, his poise to even, even that doesn't, even that doesn't sweat him. That doesn't, they're all right off him. I mean, you can even tell from when he first came in against Carolina in the preseason game, he wasn't at the moment was not too big for him. No right. moment has been too big for him. Yesterday, that final drive walked him right down the field. I mean, that passes a Jones, really, that, that should have been a completion. There wasn't enough evidence to overturn that. So now you're inside the five. I mean, he got him right down inside the five, pending, you know, on, on the callback. I mean, that was just incredible. He was not, the moment wasn't too big. On the road, division opponent, four minute offense. Boom, boom, right down the field. Did you and have then, any idea coming out of the draft that he was at, as athletic as he is? I mean, I knew about the cannon arm. I knew about yeah. the inaccuracies and all that stuff. I heard endless uh, comparisons to, like, Kyle Bowler. Well, Kyle Bowler never fucking ran the football like I'm seeing Josh Allen run. Did you have any idea he was this kind of athlete? Not not like that. Not I had no idea he was that kind of. I watched him a little bit uh, last year in my, like, the late, those late night games, like, watch a quarter of them. But not, but not enough to say, wow, he's just this crazy athletic. I did not know he was this athletic really until that Minnesota game 
when he did the hurdle and just running away from people. I mean, even last week against Jexel, that 45-yard run, whatever that was, he was running away from people 20 yards down the field, running away from cornerbacks, running away from linebackers. Yeah, he that's, made Kiko Alonso look crazy. slow, man. Yeah, the, the, he turned Alonso around like three times on this that one scramble in the first quarter. Yeah. It's just, I had no idea he was that athletic. And the, the thing that I like about him the most is that the players really like him a lot. LaShawn McCoy likes him. Lorenzo Alexander likes him. And then the whole draft night thing, when, the, when those people put out those tweets um, to really just to, who knows, to do what with him. And that was obviously the big question, how people are going to react, how his teammates are going to react, welcome, welcoming him. I mean, that was lasted what? Those tweets story lasted, what, a weekend? Yeah. Comes in from minicamp, and then it was basically just put away because the team would not let it would not, would not let it be a distraction and because they really like him and they, they stick up for him. I mean, Lorenzo Alexander, Sean McCoy, these guys, I mean, they, they really do speak so highly of him. And that's just a testament of, of his character, what, what we thought he was going to be and or what the Bills thought he was going to be. I think that's just great. Yeah. And like you said earlier, pe- people who right now who are hating on Josh Allen are just hating on him to hate on him because they didn't like him or they didn't like the pick because they didn't pick Josh Rosen because they traded Tyrod Taylor. And it's, that's just what they need to now make prove their point. Well, I'll tell you what. I think if there's one silver lining this season to take away, whether he plays good or not this last month, is I think at this point, he's won the respect of his team. I mean, you hit on that with For some sure. of the veterans. It's This is going to be his team going forward. He's going to be the man. He's the leader of this team going forward. You know, starting 2019, I'm talking about, of course. But I feel like oh, yeah. all the veterans, I think there's no more doubt. He's not just some rookie kid, you know, with a lot to prove. In, in their minds, anyway. He's their leader. He's going to be the guy that they feel confident that as they get better players around them is going to take them to that next level. No matter what happens, no matter what the record is, I feel like that's the biggest takeaway that I have anyway for the Buffalo Bills season is I think they found, it remains to be seen, who knows if this guy's going to be the next Cam Newton or Phillip Rivers, but he has a team that completely and utterly believes in him. You know what I mean? Pat, you can make, yeah, Pat, but you can make the argument now that this is his team now. That they rallied around him last week. They sure did Sunday. The whole, the whole, and they sure did, yeah, right, and they sure did yesterday. You can make the argument that it's his team right now. And going forward, like you said, I mean, next season, it's 100% his team. And they're going to build everything in the offseason on offense will be built around his strengths and, and what he can do. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they, they just really got to I mean, hit the offensive line from you know, both from the interior to the right side needs complete just a complete gutting and a complete overhaul. I mean, if they came in next season with four new offensive linemen starters, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, that's how bad it is, in my opinion. It's just, it's terrible. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, the offensive line and getting at least one receiver, if not more, that goes in probably a tight end too now. That goes without saying. But I'll tell you, you know, probably for me, the most disappointing thing about this season, something that I would have expected. I didn't think the offensive line was going to be any good. So I'm not surprised. I didn't expect much from the receivers, so I'm not surprised. But I'll tell you what, special teams this year has been a disappointment in the penalties. I mean, it just doesn't stop. You can make a strong yeah. case. Everyone talks about Charles Clay not making that play in the end zone or Josh Allen not making the throw and not quite getting there, which, by the way, Jesus Christ, what more do you want from the guy? Moving around, throwing him, not planting his feet and throwing that ball. But that play aside, you know, that's the reason why people think the Bills lost. No, I'll tell you why the Bills lost. The Bills lost because McKenzie botched that punt Late in the first half, that led to a huge turn in momentum and seven points on the board. And the Bills had 13 penalties for 120 yards. Like, this is like the third straight time this has happened. 
Did, did they have thir- they had thirteen penalties against Jexel too? That's twenty six penalties in two weeks. Yeah, it's just absolutely yeah, it's, insane, man. And you know, and know, and know what it, it it does. I mean, it's it's fun as Josh Allen is to watch. The penalties really make this team hard to watch on a Sunday. I mean, yesterday, sure. I, I mean, I watched you know, I watched it, and then it, you just get into these you know penalty. You just I, I you know got to turn it off because you just can't. There's no flow. There's no flow to these games because the penalties just kill them. Now there's a couple yesterday that were really questionable. I thought the, the, the Milano pass interference was a terrible call. Sure. Um, I agree. There was a couple other ones. I, I can't think of offhand. They were bad, but I mean, it, it's hard to watch their games because these penalties and yeah, it's completely problematic and they need, you know, I, I think there's a couple of coaches on that staff who are safe, but it wouldn't surprise me if you see, you know, offensive line coach gone special, te- the special teams coach should be fired today. Right. I mean, how does he solve a job? How does Danny Crossman still have a job right now? He, yeah. If Mike McCarthy can get fired after a game, the, the Bills can't fire the special teams coach. He should have been fired three weeks ago. He is terrible. The special teams is awful. It's awful. The return game is non-existent. They, they hold every penalties? play. Yeah, they're, they're hold every play. Hold. It's, it's I terrible. Mean, they, they have yeah, holding it's, penalties on a fair catch, and, and like all the time. The Between the whistle penalties... You know, holding aggressive penalties, it, it, those happen. But the pre-snap penalties are just so annoying. It, yeah. It's how do these? How does this happen? And special teams penalties, those are controllable. Stop it! <laughs> it, it stop it! I That's got to be their biggest thing in the offseason is getting this under control because it, it, it's it, it can't go on. I mean, th- this was a problem under Marone and under Ryan, and it just continued. It just continues. I got one more question for you. One more Bills question for you. Then we'll wrap this up. We spent a lot of time talking about Josh Allen. Okay. You mentioned Matt Milano. I thought he played a great game. I'll tell you one guy who we didn't mention, and you probably might not think of him if I don't bring him up to you now, but what about the other rookie, Tremaine Edmonds? Not seeing a hell of a lot from him. I know it's a much tougher position to play middle linebacker as a rookie than it might be, say, defensive end or, you know, maybe defensive tackle, but... He's just not making an impact. He only had four tackles on Sunday, which I'm not so much necessarily a stack guy because, you know, Preston yeah. Brown had 11, 12 tackles every week. None of them ever mattered. You know what I mean? Right. Tremaine Edmonds was making some impact plays that seemed earlier in the season, but I don't know if he's hit a wall or what, but I'm just not seeing a lot. Are you a little bit concerned about him at all? No, I'm not concerned about him. He's only, what, 20 years old? Yeah. I'm not concerned about him yet. I mean, he. I think he's running the, I mean, as a 19-year-old that came in, running the defense you know, now he's, now he's turned 20, you're running the defense. Um, it's a lot to, you know, that, that, that's a lot. And I, I think, I think he'll be fine. I, I mean, there were some plays yesterday. He, he was, no, he was noticeable, but yeah, he's not making the, you know, the, the tackles for losses that we were hoping to see and whatever, but he's still, I mean, he's still fast as hell. I mean, he's out there. He's, he's moving around. I think he'll be fine in the long run. I think you got to give him another year, at least another year. I think Edmonds in the long in the long term will be fine. I think their defense, the core of their defense with Edmonds, Davis White, Milano, Harrison Phillips, I think they have a good core defense that they can actually build around. Um, it's the offense that's going to get a complete, just a complete gutting, complete gutting. But I think Edmonds will be fine in, in the long term. I agree. All right. Now, like me, as I let you out of here, I know you're a Notre Dame guy. What's your thoughts on the playoff pairings? And do you think the NCAA got it right? Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah, the committee got it right. I mean, you can't, you, you can't, you cannot put in the, the big talk was Georgia. Right. And 
after the after the Oklahoma game, after Oklahoma won, we're like, okay, so now all Georgia's all Oklahoma's got to hope for now is a Georgia loss. Well, Georgia loses again to Alabama in the same stadium, ten months apart, blowing another lead to a backup quarterback. Same thing happens. Deja vu happens again. Then Kirk Herbstreit goes on at halftime of the ACC game and says, Georgia belongs to be, they should be third because they're one of the four best. And that just set off a firestorm of controversy. And what people have to remember, and people should keep this in mind, is that ESPN is in bed with the playoff. They run, they are running the playoff. They air all the playoff stuff. They need ratings. They need discussion. And boy, do they generate it with that. They knew exactly what they're doing to get Georgia, get this Georgia hype going. Because nobody was talking about Georgia after they lost. Like, oh, they're out. Oklahoma's in. Easy. Well, no, ESPN got the machine going, kicked it, kicked it all in gear. Georgia lost two games to LSU and to Alabama on Sunday. Two games. They have no business being in the top four. Are they one of the four best teams in the country? As If you just break them? Yeah, probably. Would they be favored against Notre Dame, Ohio State, Oklahoma? Yes, they would. But they lost two games. They lost the two, the two most important games they played this year. Georgia lost. Yeah. Notre Dame played 12 games against Power 5 conferences, and they won all 12. They didn't play any, any one AA. They didn't play Citadel. They won all 12 of their games. So, yes, they got it right. Oklahoma won their conference and avenged their only loss of the season on, on, on a neutral field again. So, yeah, they, they got it right. And these are the four teams that deserve it. I'm not sure if they're the four best, but they're the four most deserving based on their record and their body of work of, of the season. Georgia, get them out of here. Georgia shouldn't be ranked fifth. Georgia being ranked ahead of Ohio State, that's another travesty. But that's a whole other discussion. They got the four right, if that matters. <laughs> Notre Dame, 11 and a half point dogs against Clemson. You a little surprised at that line or no? No, it no eleven and a half is that sounds bad. I, I thought it actually be probably, I thought going in it'd be like fourteen because I mean Clemson's really good. I mean, Clemson is really good. I don't think Notre Dame will win it, um, but I think they'll cover. It'll be a lot uh, lot closer than what what Vegas thinks. I, I guess Notre Dame will hang around. I'm not sure if they can win that game, but they'll definitely they'll definitely hang around. You know what I like about you always on Twitter, and why I think you'll make for a good podcast co-host with me when we do these segments is. I like the Bills and I like the Sabres, but I don't yeah. want to just talk about the Bills and the fucking Sabres all the yeah. time. No, you, you're, no, you're, you, you talk let, about the office. You're a Lakers guy. You like yes. baseball. You like all like kinds baseball. of shit. A lot like, of times I, we I, don't I like agree. Right. It's going to be fun. Well, one of these days we'll, we'll come on. We'll talk chicken wings. Yes. We'll talk, we'll talk parks and rec. And we'll, we, we can, we can do that too. That'd be fun. <laughs> I'm looking forward. Did to you it, see? Man. Did you see? Real, did you see real quick? Did you see they're taking Friends off Netflix in, on January? In, I heard on January something 1st? about that. I'm going to make a confession to you, though, man. You're not going to like this. Again, this is one of the things I like about you is me and you don't always agree on a lot of shit. I don't really care that much <laughs> about Friends. I was not that big of a Friends guy. I feel bad for you guys out there, all you Friends fans. If Netflix is taking that shit off and they're pissing you off, well, then I'm sorry, but I really don't care. The first five seasons. I was really, I was big on friends, but I always tell people when they came back from London, from uh, Ross's wedding in London, that's when the show just went bad. Then they all started dating each other and it was just got, then Joey started liking Rachel and it was just so, it got just dumb. And so I, I, I bailed after like, after Ross's wedding and they came back from London. So I, I was like the first five seasons. 
that was really good. But toward the end, I, I, I kind of bailed. And then with the office, it was all the same thing. When, when Steve Carell left, I, I kind of stopped watching. I'm approaching that point again. I'm on my like eighth re-binge of this and I'm on season seven. In fact, you know yeah. what? Before we started taping this, I just watched, ep- it was episode 17. It was the Michael Scar. It was threat level midnight. That's almost <laughs> as good as it gets because the proposal is coming gr- yes. soon and yep. then he's gone after that. So yep. it is going yeah, to go was, downhill. That was, uh, yeah, he, he was, those last like couple of seasons he was on, you know, were, were really good. I think the highlight of his, la- the last two seasons he was on, I think Scott's tots might've been the best. Yeah, that was like, great. That was, that was a great episode, but yeah. So yeah, I definitely want to come back on and do more than just talking about Josh Allen and anything else. I oh. mean, get the NBA, NBA playoffs are coming, you know, NBA is coming and getting the high gear. We do that whenever you want. I'm here. Oh, we're going to do all kinds of shit. All right, folks, awesome. Michael Nietzsche, give him a follow on Twitter at MA Nietzsche. It's good stuff, man. Thanks for doing this. This was fun. No problem, Pat. Thanks a lot, but I'll talk to you later. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. Big thanks to Tom Marner from KCTV 5 in Kansas City. Of course, before venturing off to Kansas City, Tom spent a couple of years working at Channel 4 in Buffalo. Had a good time talking to Tom, seeing how he's doing, talking a little bit about Buffalo, talking a little bit about Kansas City, some other stuff. Definitely a good conversation, and I enjoyed it a lot. Also want to thank Michael Nietzsche making his debut on this podcast. Definitely like talking to him. I'll have him on plenty more in the future. Trust me. He'll be back for sure. Coming up on Friday's show, I may or may not have former Buffalo Bills kicker Steve Christie on with me. Steve lives near me in the Florida area, and I'm trying to hook it up so that we can get together within the next couple days and tape something for the next show. We'll see. Hopefully that'll work out. Guys, if you haven't done so already, please go to Apple Podcasts, iTunes, subscribe to this podcast. It's quick, it's easy, it's free. Just look at your iPhone, find the purple Apple Podcast app, open it up, do a search, Analytics Podcast, see it come up, hit the subscribe button, bam, that's it. If you're not using an iPhone and don't have Apple Podcasts, you can also catch us on Google Podcasts for Android, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, pretty much anywhere future award-winning podcasts are heard. Of course, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Pat Moran Tweets. Enjoy the rest of the week. It's Christmas season, man. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. Talk to you guys again on Friday.